I felt like just sticking with the theme that's set in place tonight and just say, if you're able, uh, everyone can just stand while we, uh, while we uh, talk about some things out of God's Word. I've had to now stand the entirety of our time together, and I'm going to be the only one, the only one standing the whole time. Well, it's so good to be with you and be to see you again and to worship with you once again. It, it is a, a joy for us to be able to, on the Lord's Day, to be able to spend some time together and worship to him, and to be able to even come back as we are here and to spend some time praising him in song and open up his word and studying from it. Over the past couple of months, this trimester, I've been teaching uh, one of the adult Bible classes on the book of Romans. And, uh, and because of that, several of you are certainly in that class with me. A lot of times when you're teaching a particular book for a trimester, your, your study throughout the week is dominated by that book at times. And that's certainly been the case for me in the book of Romans. And maybe you're in that class and you've been waiting, you've been thinking, surely he's going to do a lesson from the book of Romans. Surely it's coming week after week after week. Surely Romans is coming. Surely he's going to give us something more from Romans. But man, I give you, you've been in my class, I give all I got, all I got I give right there in class. But as we work through, there is something that caught my eye that I wanted to share that really was helpful for me that I ran across a few weeks ago from studying in Romans chapter 3 that I thought would be helpful. And really what's interesting is where I pulled it from. Now I've made mention, maybe a year ago now, maybe a little more than that, um, I have switched because I'm getting old uh, to what I now refer to as my uh, public Bible. Right here. This is the Bible I preach out of and the Bible I teach out of. It doesn't leave this building. It stays in my office. And it's got giant print. And it's just much easier for me to see when I'm standing up here and reading or teaching and reading. I'm able to get to it a a little bit easier. But the Bible I study from uh, throughout the week is the same Bible that I've used, I mean, for decades now. I got it when I was a teenager. And it's been rebound even a couple of times. It's just one of those Bibles, you know where everything is. I've got stuff written in there, and it's just the Bible I I study out of and work out of. But it is a study Bible, and if you've got a study Bible, the publisher at times will put, you know, varying notes and varying things of, you know, to think about this or, you know, thoughts. And, And although we need to recognize that those notes, those things written there by the publisher are not inspired by God, and we need to be careful when we're reading those certain things. That's written there by man, and we need to be cognizant of that. But there are times in which you can read something, and it can be quite helpful. And for my Bible, and coincidence, I'll say, in Kim's Bible, we have the same Bible that we both got as teenagers. Isn't that sweet? I mean, it's pretty sweet, right? Long before we met. And still use. In that, in the midst of Romans chapter 3 specifically, there's just a simple page that listed out varying Greek words used in the New Testament to describe what sin is. And it was really interesting and really helpful for me as I've studied through Romans chapter 3, certainly Romans chapter 5 and 6, 7 even a little bit, that understanding of sin, and if you've been in my class, you've certainly felt that because we've hammered home about really the importance of having a strong understanding about what sin is all about. As a Christian, we have to know, we have to be aware what sin is all about. 
And that little page really helped me. So I'm going to work through that a little bit. I've added a couple of things to it. But I, I thought it, would, it was helpful for me. And I thought it would be helpful to you. And here on a Sunday night, I thought it would be a good time to share some of these things with you. And then we'll make some applications to it uh, at the end of the list. And so we're going to work kind of in sequential order from the one, the word that's used the most, the most Greek word, down to the least. And we're going to really pay close attention to the root word definitions, and we're going to compile that list at the end. And the first one is this. I'm not going to try to pronounce all of these Greek words. I put them up with just a little short definition and the way that it is translated often. But the first one is this, and it is found 264 times in the New Testament. And it is commonly uh, translated as sin or falling short. The root words idea is the idea of failing or missing the mark or to be mistaken. That's the idea that's used here. And so let's look at a couple examples. We're going to look at as at at an example of each of these. And the first one is here, Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so you have this idea given to us here, even in a couple of different ways, that the idea of sin used most often in the New Testament is this idea of failing or missing the mark or to be mistaken. I'm going to give you a little bit of a, uh, a precursor to what's coming. All of those are bad negative things. So you need to be looking for that. that that's what's going, to, uh, what's going to come to the forefront, is that each and every time when we define these words, you're going to notice very quickly very negative, very bad, very terrible definitions for each of these. And this is the first one. Secondly, it is this Greek word, it's given to us about 25 different times. Most of the time it would be unrighteousness or iniquity. And the root word here, the idea is injustice or dishonesty or to simply do wrong. And an example of that is in 1 John chapter 1. And what's interesting about this passage in 1 John chapter 1 is this one verse, 1 John 1 verse 9, has both of these Greek words in this one verse. The first one that we just gave to, gave you about falling short, and this one about specifically unrighteousness. And so the verse is this, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, that's that first Greek word, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you start to see this idea. And I want you to begin to formulate a thought in your mind towards sin. There's a couple more, and then we're going to kind of bring all of this to a place, hopefully. The third one is this. Trespass is the word. 23 different times used in the New Testament. Trespass, the root word's idea is to fall or to slip, or to make a slip, or to make an error in some uh, capacity. An example of how and when this specific word is used is in the book of James. In James chapter 5, James chapter 5 and verse 16, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. If you use the ESV and you turn there, use a New American Standard, 
Both of those, I think all other English translations besides the New King James that I use, where it says confess your trespasses to one another, those other translations use the word sins. Confess your sins to one another. It is that idea of a trespass. Three down, three to go. The next is this, the idea of iniquity. It's found 15 times in the New Testament. The root word is the idea of lawlessness or illegality or specific wickedness. And so an example of this, a a pretty well-known passage for us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. The NIV will just straight throw out breaking the law. That's the idea, very easy to understand, that sin is breaking the law. All right, two more. The next one is this word. Transgression is the word that it is translated to most often. The word is found seven times in the New Testament. Its root word idea is violating a specific law or just disregarding the law altogether. In Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2 and verse 23, you see this word used. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? That's the word that's given to us there. And then the final one is this, the idea of just straight ungodliness. It's found six different times in the New Testament. The root words idea is impiety, irreverence, irreligion, uh, dangerous, scary words to be sure. And it's used multiple times in one passage, and that is the tiny book of Jude. In Jude, that one chapter, or one chapter that we have beginning in verse 15, it says this, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved... Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. And so you see this word used over and over and over, this idea of ungodliness. Now, I want, before we move on, to put a list. I know it's little, but hopefully you're able to to take a look. All of the words that we had just used in those six Greek words that really the New Testament trying to convey what sin is all about, these are the kind of words that should come to mind. And so let's think about the words that we have. Falling short, failing, missing the mark, mistaken, unrighteousness, iniquity, dishonesty, to do wrong, a fall, a slip, an error, lawlessness, illegality, wickedness, violating the law, disregarding the law, impiety, irreverence, irreligion, trespass, transgression, ungodliness. These are the words which define what sin is all about. And, and, and I want us to understand now what the, the key component to that is. 
You can be flipping in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. That's where we're going to go here in just a moment. But I want us to begin to think about what your relationship to sin is. That's the question I really want you to be considering tonight. What is your relationship to sin? How do you deal with sin? How do you handle sin? How do you react to sin? How, how do you deal with those the idea of sin? How do you think about sin? Your, your attitude towards sin. All of those things, I want you to be thinking about that. The issue most often that becomes a problem, even for Christians who understand sinning is bad, we shouldn't sin, we shouldn't be about sin, we should live a life without sin. We all understand that, and every one of us would agree with that. All of us would. We understand it's bad. We understand you shouldn't do it. We understand you should stay away from it. All of us agree. But the issue most often is, if this podium represents sin, I understand I don't need to be all about it. I understand I don't need to be climbing all up on top of it because sin is bad. But the issue becomes, this is where I'm super comfortable. Right in this area. I'm not touching it. I'm not, I'm not doing anything with it, but you know what? I like, this is the comfort zone for me. Because if the world takes a quick peek at me, the quick peek is, oh, he's just, he's just like everybody else. He's just like everybody else. Now, if they took a really, really close look at me, they may be able to start to see some differences. But this is the idea that we like to live in. So how does that come to be? Well, I understand that there is language that is not proper for a Christian to be using. I understand that, right? All of us would understand that. And we understand that there's just language that a Christian shouldn't use and, and tones even that the Christian shouldn't be using. Specific words that just is not right to be using those kinds of words. And so we'll sometimes be like, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to use those words. Those are bad, naughty words for the Christian that we should stay away from. But I don't mind throwing a euphemism out from time to time. You know, it's not the word. It's got one letter difference, or it's got one letter difference. But you know what? To the world, when they hear that, it doesn't sound really all that. that that's living here in this world. We do that with all kinds of things in reference to sin. But what I want us to understand tonight, a simple way, a simple way, and hopefully this exercise helps us. Now, listen, if, you, if you're here tonight and you're in uh, the Romans class that we're studying together, I mean, each of you are sitting there thinking, I mean, how much more can this one guy talk about sin over the last month? That's what you're thinking. But this should help us. Because this is what sin is all about. It is destructive, and it is dangerous, and it is something that we as Christians should steer completely away from. Now, I want you to understand the language then that is often used in talking about this idea. So I had you turn to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, as Paul is kind of working up to several different things, he, he makes some points specifically about 
the, the Christians there in Rome and their relationship to sin. He's reminding them of a few things. Now, a lot of times when we go to Romans chapter 6, immediately we're like, well, Romans chapter 6, that's the baptism passage. Well, baptism is made mention of for sure, but it's not necessarily the how to be baptized passage. He's writing that passage to Christians. Baptism is there, and principles about baptism can be gained from Romans chapter 6. But Romans chapter 6 is about God, number one, and the power that he has. But secondly, it is our relationship to sin. He wants them and us to understand. So listen to the phrasing that he uses. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 6, he reminds them of this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Look at verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God and Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, he says your relationship to sin is dead and you're alive to Christ. Now, I want you to think about what God has done for us here. God is trying to come up with an illustration. He's trying to come up with an analogy to help us understand what my relationship to sin is to be like. He's trying to conjure up the the best analogy to help us. And so what does he choose? He chooses for our own physical human minds, the two farthest things apart that there are, life and death. There isn't another thing that he could have used to help us understand what my relationship to sin is to be and how contrastingly different it is for me as a Christian. Dead versus life. That is the illustration that he chooses, he chooses to use. And so when we read a passage like that, and the podium is sin, is this what that looks like? No, that doesn't look like that at all. It helps us to see why we have other passages that tell us what our attitudes were sin. Think about the Apostle Paul to the brethren in Thessalonica. In 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and what you have is kind of a, an interesting section of this chapter where you kind of have these bullet points, almost one after these little tiny verses where he moves very quickly through, where you have things like rejoice and rejoice always and pray without ceasing and everything give thanks. He's, he, he's flying through some of these things. And in verse 22, he throws this out abstain, abstain from every form of evil. Is that hard to understand? I mean, we're smart people here, aren't we? I think we, all of us, all of us are smart people in here. That's That's not hard to grab hold of. That's not hard to understand. It's little, it's a little sentence. It's, it uses just a few words. We understand what that is. We have evil, even forms of evil, And he has categorized then all of those. Not some of those. Not a few of those, right? He has categorized all of those. All of evil 
all of the forms of evil. He has categorized all of those. And then he says, your attitude and life and your reaction to that group that I just made, right? He made that group. Every form of evil, all of those things, he has grouped together. And he says, your attitude to that group, abstain from that. So all over the New Testament, what's the language we see about things like idolatry, specifically, sexual immorality, specifically, where the New Testament writers will tell you, flee from those things. Don't walk away. Don't hover Don't get close, but don't touch. Flee from those things. Now, why use language like that? Why use language like dead to sin? Flee sexual immorality. Abstain from every form of evil. Why use phrasing so specific and so finite in a lot of ways? Why use language like that? Because of what sin is. And how dangerous sin is. And I really think if we have a strong grasp to what sin is and what sin does, you will abstain from it. You will steer clear from it. You will flee from it. You will not hover around it. You will push it as far away from you as you can. Like we would a bowl of some terrible disease sitting on the counter. If you knew what that was, nobody is twirling their fingers in it. Nobody is sipping it but not swallowing it, right? Spitting it back out. Nobody is doing that. Everybody is staying as far away from that as possible. You see an understanding about what sin is and does helps with that. In Ephesians chapter 5, really, really important text when it comes to this idea. Bring things to a close with this idea here in Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to listen to what Paul says, and I want you to be looking for some of the things that we've talked about tonight. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning of verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, he says, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. But he goes on. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know that no fornication, or no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who was an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. 
For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. What a powerful passage that is. Simple, simple passage. And it includes a lot of what we have just talked about. Think about what Paul is saying here to the brethren in Ephesus. He talks about fornication. He talks about uncleanness. He talks about covetousness, these sinful things. And he says, let not that even be named among you. It's not fitting. It doesn't fit the Christian. That doesn't fit the Christian. He adds, what fits the Christian is gratitude and thankfulness. That that fits the Christian. But these other things, they, they don't fit. And he'll add, what doesn't fit? Filthiness. What doesn't fit? Foolish talking. What doesn't fit? Coarse jesting. Those don't fit. What fits? The giving of thanks. But then he helps us. If we don't get it yet, he helps us even more by saying, it is those kinds of people, sinful people, no inheritance for them in the kingdom of God. No inheritance for them. He says there in verse 6, people can say all kinds of things and justify all kinds of things. But you know what? Verse 7 is pretty easy. Don't be partakers with them. It's not fitting. It's not fitting. You, You let it not even be named. That's not fitting. But for us, as we close, what is fitting? Verse 8. It's a reminder for each and every one of us who are Christians, who maybe once, once were in darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. You walk as children of light. You live godly. You live holy. You live blameless and separate. And so the power of a list like this the power of understanding a term that is used so often, sometimes a term like that can get watered down. I think that's the case with love sometimes. Love is a term that's used so often, we struggle with the pure meaning of what biblical love is all about. Sin is another example of that. It's used so many different times. that sometimes the temptation is to allow it to be watered down in our minds, to water down in our hearts, and to just not fully grasp what it means. And hopefully a quick word study like this tonight helps. Because there's no profit, no light, no goodness, no helpfulness, no encouragement found in sin, in any corner of sin, in any recesses of sin, there's nothing good or profitable there at all. Only destruction, only disaster. And so for us as children of light, it is something that we steer clear of. It's a powerful, powerful thing to be one that helps, one that makes a difference in the life that we live. 
each and every day in the decisions that we make, each and every day in the choices, the attitudes that we showcase. Sinful or godly? Ungodly or righteous? Those are the decisions that we're apt to be making. And so hopefully this is helpful. It was really helpful to me, and hopefully this little word study has been helpful to you. Well, Tim is going to lead us in another song, and he's going to ask us to stand. I just feel it. Or actually, I'm going to ask you to stand, I guess. I'll take credit for it. But it gives us an opportunity. It gives us an opportunity, like we talked about this morning, an opportunity to be thinking about our relationship with God, maybe be thinking about our relationship to sin. Maybe sin is much deeper in your heart than you really like to think about. And maybe as we talked about this word and we studied about this word, it's a realization that you've come to that it has to get out. It has to go away. What an incredible, incredible time to confess and repent of that sin and allow Jesus, allow God to forgive that sin. Maybe we can help with that in some way. If we can, you let us know as we stand and sing.